Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you so much for joining us again this week, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and join us again. Whether you're joining us through television or through our YouTube channel or whatever media you're doing, thank you for doing that, and we appreciate the cards, the letters, and the response that we get from you, and they are encouraging to us, and we appreciate you letting us know you are watching. We really do uh, appreciate it when you let us know, and when you do, let us know where you are writing from, as that helps us to make decisions uh, when our time is due to renew our contracts, whether or not to stay on certain stations or not. And uh, so uh, that's really important to us that you let us know you're watching. I've been in the middle of a series, and we're going to do another one today, and probably even some more in the future. Uh, but we're talking about the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And I started out three weeks ago talking about this, so everything that I have already shared is archived on our YouTube channel. And it's very simple. If you'd like to go back and watch what we have aired to date, you can go back to our YouTube channel and watch them at your leisure. Uh, there's also an audio portion of it on iTunes uh, for a podcast and also an RSS feed for an Android device. And the easiest way to go back and listen to any of that is to simply go to my website, and that address is on the screen, lynnhiles.com, and up in the upper right-hand corner, there is an icon for all of those. It'll take you directly to that channel. Uh, you can also like my public profile, which is Lynn Hiles Ministries on Facebook, because we also share them through Facebook, uh, so you can watch them a lot of different ways. The story of Ezra and Nehemiah is a story of restoration. It is a story of reformation. It is about God's people leaving Babylonian captivity and oppression and coming back into their city, restoring their temple and their families and their national identity, and a return to God. I believe these are relevant times to be talking about this. In my first segment, I talked about how Ezra's name means my helper. Nehemiah's name means the comforter. And I shared a whole segment on the power and the work of the Holy Spirit and the need and emphasis that needs to shift towards the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and through the believer in this planet right now. Dominion and authority have been given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And I believe we need to be like Ezra and Nehemiah. Let us rise up. I believe it's time to arise and shine, for our light has come. And we've got a decree from the other side of the river to build and to restore, to build up. Not pluck up, not tear up, but to build up. The work of the Holy Spirit is to edify and build. Matter of fact, if you pray in the Holy Ghost, it will build you up on your most holy faith. So we can start out by saying first thing we need to do is build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Build up one another. Build the wall. Isaiah said, The gates shall be called praise, and your wall shall be called salvation. I believe we need to arise and build the house of God. I believe we need to arise and restore and build, as Ezra did, the synagogues, the teaching centers, and the places where people can learn the Word of God. That was one of the key things of Reformation, was a return back 
to the Word of God. I believe we need to return to apostolic doctrine. The foundation of the city of Revelation is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being chief cornerstone. And I believe that we need to return to real apostolic doctrine and a hunger of the people of God to hear the Word of God. You know, I was my, my pastor and I were talking the other day and she, we were talking about sometimes, you know, sometimes the understanding level of people, because you've only got just like a, you know, most most places you've got a 45-minute window on Sunday. They're going to come on Sunday, and you've got a 45-minute window to teach the Word, and somehow in 45 minutes undo what they've done all week through all the other stuff that's fed to them. Last week I read you a text out of Ezra chapter 4 from the Message Bible where it talked about that when they started to rebuild the wall, the enemy got concerned. The enemy got concerned when they started to build, when they started to restore. And they hired propagandists against the people to halt the work and distract them. And I shared with you last week, sometimes I think people get so distracted because of the propaganda that comes through Many times, even even the media. I mean, we, we are living in an hour when, uh, I mean, there is a flood coming out of the dragon's mouth. And you don't know who to believe. And certainly don't believe over half you see on Facebook. Because some of that stuff is not even, it's, it's even satires and people share it like it's the truth. But what I want you to see is that there must be a return to the Word of God. And we were talking about the understanding level of many people that don't know much about the Word of God. You know, I sometimes when people ask me questions, I think they must be looking for something deeper than this because it's so evident to me and so basic. But I forget that I've been in church my whole life, and I've, I've, I've heard the Word of God taught, and, and I've, I've, I've read the Word of God, and I've studied it, and I've studied books, and I think we need to have a return back into the Word of God and the value of the Word of God. You know, one of the early translators during the time of Reformation was literally burnt at the stake because he put the Bible in the common language where the common person could read it. Let's value the Word of God. People hazarded their lives to give us the written page of the Word of God. And we ought to value that time of being together with our families as we see this restoration come back to the house of God. But, you know, we were talking about the understanding level of people and what they know about the Word. It's hard to see. You know, it's almost impossible sometimes to preach anything of any depth to it because people don't understand sometimes the surface truth. And my pastor was saying that she had somebody ask her one time, how is it, that, this is the question she was asking, how is it that the children of Israel carried that ark of Noah all the way through the wilderness to the promised land. And my, my, my pastor said, I almost burst out laughing because, see, they thought the ark that Moses carried was the ark of Noah, and that's a completely different ark. And somehow she could picture them carrying this boat across the desert headed toward the promised land. I thought, no wonder they would think it would take 40 years. That's a different ark. But see, that's the understanding that people have, is they don't know the Word enough to even get the basic things down. And so I believe there must be a return back to studying the Word of God, back to looking at our the truths of the Word of God. And that's where Ezra came in. He was a scribe, and he was a teacher, and he was a, a builder. Nehemiah, on the other hand, had a different function. 
Ezra built the synagogues, and he helped to build the tabernacle or the, or the temple. He restored back the temple of God. But Nehemiah was building the city. I think that goes to show me that there are different functions of ministry. Your assignment might be different than my assignment. My assignment, I, I really believe my assignment's more like Ezra. I believe I'm a teacher. I believe I'm a, I'm a, I, I'm a person who grounds people in the Word. I believe I'm building the local church, and I believe I'm building the temple of God. But I believe there's also people that are called to the marketplace. I believe there are people that are called to build physically. There are people that are called, that are apostolic to reach cities. There, in other words, there are different functions. But just because our function is different does not mean we don't need each other. Because even in the midst of discouragement, there arose men like Haggai and Zechariah, who were prophets that began to encourage the people. And they began to, uh, they began to prophesy and tell them the things that would encourage them to arise and build the house of God. And Zechariah especially said before the great mountain Zerubbabel, and he said that this mountain will be thrown down and cast down by shouting grace, grace to it. So sometimes we need to tear down some mountains by preaching the gospel of grace, and we need to encourage people rather than discourage them and build them up rather than tear them down. But I want to read a few things from Ezra here in just this segment, and we'll probably pick up again maybe in the next, uh, next time we have a, a few moments together. But it says in Ezra chapter 1, I'm going to read a few things here, that it says that uh, it says, and, and now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all kingdoms of the earth, and hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who there among you of all of his people, his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whoever remains in any place wherever he sojourns, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold, and with goods and with beasts, beside the freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Now one of the things I want you to see that was restored again was that there were those that went to build, there were those who did certain projects, but those that remained also supported them who went. And they supported them with free will offerings. Now, I, I, this really resonated with me, because I think sometimes people have gotten so distasteful, and they have a bad taste in their mouth about all the scams and manipulations that come to try to co 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 coerce God's people into giving, threatening them with a curse or any other kind of thing to try to get them to give. I believe what God is restoring back to the house of God is a desire to give, a desire to support, a desire to hold up the arms of those who are doing the work. You know, I have said long, several times, several times, what you don't support goes away. I don't care if it is your baseball team or your local church, or even on the negative side. If you don't support evil things in the world, it goes away. What you don't support goes away. But what you believe in, you need to get behind. And if you get behind it and hold up the arms of those, everybody has a place to play in this thing. It's not all builders, it's not all teachers, it's not all temple workers. But as you go down through here, you're going to see that they rose up and there was different functions 
that the people had, but had, but God then rose up the chief. Let me just read some more. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all those whose spirit God had raised, to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver and precious things and willing offerings. Now let me just skip down here because they gave, but it, then it starts to talk about who returned back. And if you ever are sleepy or you're in bed and you can't go to sleep, read Ezra chapter 2 because by the time you get down to some golden nuggets that are in the midst of this, it would probably put you to sleep because he started giving the names of the people and how many there were with them that came and returned. But there is in this text, I believe, an order of how uh, the restoration and some of the vital functions of what's going to take place in, in, in the restoration to the house of God. But he starts listing certain, certain house, somebody came, certain, certain house, another came. But it gets down to verse 41, and it says, The singers, the children of Asaph, and 128, the children of the porters, the children of Shalom, the children of Ader, the children of Talmon, the children of Akab, the children of Hesha, the children of Shabiah, and, and all 139. And so he starts to restore singers, worshipers. Worship, not just people singing songs, not just talented people, but anointed worshipers that were the sons of Asaph, that were the ones that David, Asaph was appointed by David to sound the cymbals. He was David's worship leader. I think what we're going to find is that there's going to come back a fresh kind of worship into the house of God where it's not just an entertainment-based stand on the backside and see who could put, you know, the back of the building and see who could put on the best show but real worship. We have a lot of songs that we go through that uh, I believe even are not communicating the real message of the gospel. And I'm thankful to hear some of the stuff that's coming on the scene now because it's in uh, conjunction with a message that God is declaring about restoration, about dry bones coming alive, about God breathing afresh, about the Holy Spirit moving, about what we have and how to build up God's people and how good God is and and those were the steps that begin to bring them back into restoration. But I'm after one particular uh, thing here in verse number 62, right in the middle of this great return scripture. It says, let me read verse 61. And the children of the priests, the children of Habiah, the children of Kaz, the children of Barzillia, which took a wife of the daughters of Barzillia and the Gileite, and was called after their name. But this is what I want you to see. These sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore were they as polluted. They were put forth from the priesthood and the Tershatha, which means the governor. And the governor said unto them that they should not eat of the most holy things till there stood up a priest with Urim and with Thummim, the whole congregation together, 42,303 score, beside their servants and maids, of whom were 7,300, and singing men and women. And what I'm after is this verse here is right in the middle of all of this seemingly boring rhetoric of who came back, and by the time you read the verse above it, you've done for God. It says, but right in the middle of this, it starts talking about the restoration of a priesthood. And it says, when they came back, they sought their register. That was their genealogical roots among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but they were not found. And because they could not find their 
genealogy, they were put forth from the priesthood as polluted and could not eat of the most holy things until there stood up a priest with Urim and with Thummim. Now let me just say this to you. I think one of the things that happened in Babylonian captivity and what has happened to the church in this hour has been because of Babylonian captivity we've lost our identity and our genealogy and we still see ourselves in Adam rather than seeing ourselves in Christ. We've been born from above. We've been regenerated and we're not overhauling the behavior of an old man in Adam, but we are developing and maturing and calling forth a new priesthood after the order of Melchizedek who has a new genealogy who's been reckoned as a priest forever with bread and wine to serve and who have access to come with boldness into the most holy place and feed on what's in the most holy things. And one of the things that's behind door number three in the most holy place is hidden manna. And I want us to go with that thought because he says that they were disqualified from the priesthood and put forth from the priesthood until there stood up a priest with Urim and with Thummim. Now, while I'm turning to Revelation chapter 2 to get this, I want you to know that what the Urim and the Thummim was, was a white stone and a black stone. They were stones of judgment that were in the breastplate of the ephod of the high priest. They were in a little pouch. And if you came before the priest for judgment and you were trying to get an answer, if he reached into the bag and he pulled out a black stone, it meant no. If he pulls out a white stone, it meant yes. You could go through the scriptures and find out where there were different kings who inquired uh, at the priest by Urim and by Thummim, should we go up to battle or not? And they'd inquired of the Lord, and the priest would reach into the bag and pull out a white or a black stone. If he pulled out a black stone, you better stay home. If he pulled out a white stone, it meant God is going to give you the victory. If you came before him to get your genealogy record, if you got a black stone, it meant that you were not qualified and that you were put forth from the priesthood. Now, uh, this, these two stones also, the Urim, or the Urim and the Thummim, these two words mean lights, and perfection. So until there stands up a priest with light on perfection, you are going to be put forth from the priesthood. So I believe there's a priesthood that's arising that's not here to disqualify you, but it's here to qualify you. And I want to show you where this white stone is used in the book of Revelation uh, to the church, I believe it is, at Pergamos, verse 12, Revelation 2 says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things saith he which has the sharp sword with two edges. I know your works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. Now thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them to hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith of the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Now the hidden manna is in the most holy place. It's in the golden pot of manna. And I will give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. So here we have the white stone. Now let me just tie some thoughts together. 
In Ezra, you were disqualified from the priesthood because you did not know your genealogy until there stood up a priest with Urim or with Thummim that would qualify you to be a priest and to eat of the most holy things. But when we get to Revelation chapter 2, he says, if you overcome, I will give you to eat of the hidden manna. In other words, you're going to get to feed on the most holy things, and I'm going to give you a white stone. That's the white stone that means you're qualified. And in that stone, a new name written. That's your new identity in Christ in your new creation, man. That's what qualifies you. This chapter is about a people who have gone after the error of Balaam, and Balaam was a prophet that was hired to curse people who were not under a curse. I'm telling you that when Balak tried to hire him to, to curse the people of God, every time he would get up on the mountain to curse the people of God, he would get up and say, I can't curse what God has blessed. The third time Balak takes him up on the mountain and says, man, I have hired you and I am paying you big money to curse these people. And he says, when he got up on the top of the mountain the third time, he said, when I beheld Israel in her tents, he said, if God has blessed Jacob, who can curse him? The Lord has sworn he will not re repent. He has decreed he the blessing will not be revoked. But what really caught my attention is he says, when I saw Israel in her tents. Now, if you know anything about the history of Israel, when they were in their tents and they were camped and the camp was at rest, they were camped in the shape of a cross. So that when Balaam saw them from the mountain, he saw God's people at rest in the shape of a cross because it's the cross that gives us rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when he saw God's people camped in the shape of a cross, he said, if God has blessed Jacob, who can curse him? You see, the only way you can curse people in the New Testament is to put them back up under the law. For as many are as of the works of the law are under a curse. That's why I believe there's going to come a new uh, uh, a thrust, even in teaching how we give, that we're not manipulating people and threatening them with the curse. And we're going to find that people are going to start to give out of free will offerings, and it's going to far exceed what they, we've told them they're going to be cursed if they don't give. Now, I do believe in giving. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but I refuse to put people under a curse who are not under a curse. I refuse to disqualify people when there's a priest who stood up who qualified you to eat of the most holy things. I'm not going to follow the error of Balaam and teach uh, Balak how to cast a stumbling block before the people of God. That's why they were in captivity is because of some of that foolishness. Now let me just say this to you. The, the word Urim means light, and the other one means perfection. Lights on perfection. And one more last thing before I close this segment. I want to go to Hebrews and show you some light on perfection. Hebrews, I believe it is the 10th chapter. And I'm going to go right straight down here. It says, uh, verse 10 says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we're sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And it goes on to say, then, every high priest, uh, every high priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting to his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, he has 
perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is witness to us, for after that he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with him. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. I want you to understand that this priest that stood up was the high priest after the, of our profession, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who by one offering sanctified us by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, so that your sanctification is not based on your performance. Your sanctification is based on a sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus is what sanctified you and set you apart. It says, for by one offering he has sanctified us. And then he goes on to say in the same chapter that by one offering he has also perfected forever those that are sanctified. So we are not perfected on the basis of our performance. We're perfected on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that presented us to, Christ, uh, to God to present every man perfect in Christ. Now there has to be a living out and a walking out of the reality of what's already true of you, but you are not doing it to get it. You're doing it because you've already got it. The, even Hebrews 6 where it says, let us go on under perfection. The word perfection there is not a verb, it is a noun. So when you get in Christ, you get in that perfect one, and we've got a perfection that's based on that sacrifice. So the reformation and the restoration that Ezra was talking about is going to bring people back to the qualification that says now because you've been perfected forever, the next part of Hebrews chapter 10 says then we can have brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, we can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So him giving us light on the perfection that was based on a sacrifice qualifies us to come boldly to the throne of grace and feed on stuff from the most holy place. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a restoration to bring us back to the restoration that Ezra and Nehemiah are a type and a shadow of. Let's arise and build. Let's arise with a white stone. Let's qualify the people of God and not disqualify them. Let's invite them to come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and a grace that will help in the time of trouble. We are living in reformation and restoration. I want to say encouraging words, even in the midst of this captivity and in the midst of all of this chaos, God is still at work. We're about out of time. But I want to just encourage you for a moment that if you've been blessed by this ministry and you feel like you can give an offering by free will, I'm not trying to manipulate you. If you watch me any amount of time, there's very little time we spend in trying to raise funds, but it does take money to be able to support the ministry and the television programming. And if you've been blessed and you'd like to help hold up the hands of someone who's trying to bring reformation, then get behind what we're doing. If God lays it on your heart, give a free will offering and sow into it. There's a couple ways to do it. You can go to the link right there on our website, and there is a place where you can give via credit card or debit card. You can call the number on the screen, and someone will take your credit card number over the phone. If you don't get an answer, please leave a message. We have a limited staff, and they will call you back. Or you can send a check and a money order to the name and address that will come up on the screen. Thank you for joining us. Join us again next week at the same time. God bless you. 
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.